This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey there, we're pulling this episode from our story archives where we've covered part one and part two of Lupin in preparation for part three of Lupin releasing October 5th. We hope you enjoy this episode and our upcoming deep dive coverage on Lupin part three. We are about to tell you the story of a thief, not just any thief. And the first thing you need to know about Arsene Lupin is that no one knows who he really is. In fact, you may have already crossed his path. But let's slow down and start from the beginning. Arsene Lupin is a man of many talents. He is a master of disguise. He can change his identity in an instant. You should never trust Arsene Lupin. After all, his name might not even be Lupin. In truth, he has many names. He uses his extraordinary talent to commit his various larcenies. No obstacle can get in the way of his plans. But his greatest talent, without a doubt, is to always be one step ahead. Welcome to Story Archives. My name is Mario Busto, and I am here with... Zachary Newton. What's up? All right, this is the first official episode of Story Archives. And we are starting it with a series... An episode-by-episode series reviewing the new Netflix show, or redone Netflix show, depending on how you want to look at it, Lupin. Uh, Lupin is actually based on a, well, let me rewind it a little bit. Before Lupin was released and watched by over what now is probably over 70 million subscribers, the character was a French literary legend, a gentleman thief with the moral code of Robin Hood, the wits of Sherlock Holmes, and the anti-aristocratic instinct of Robespierre. I give that credit to a writer from the Atlantic named Sophie Gilbert. I thought she just put it brilliantly with that. And uh, ultimately, the experience of watching Lupin has just kind of put me on fire about it and needing to do a, <laughs> a, a series about it. Yeah, you told me about this show. I mean, I don't know what about a week ago. I watched an episode, the first episode. I only watched the first episode of it so far, so I'm gonna kind of watch it as we go along and talk through it all. But I, I saw a trailer for this, and I was like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. And after you told me, I had to, I had to watch it. So this thing, pretty impressive. I like it, and I like that it's uh, in French as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even mention that. I mean. Um, I didn't even, I did not know Arsene Lupin at all before this series. And let me tell you, since I was a kid, I used to read books like the thief Lord or uh, Scarlet Pimpernel, or um, I always loved James Bond growing up. So anything about espionage and specifically the Robin hood type thief, the gentleman thief, the, the thief that has his own moral code, who's not just robbing to break 
I don't know, break the law, but just it's a, there's a sophistication to it. Now, judge me as you would. I have often, you know, thought of myself if I was living during in like, I don't know, 1500s Florence, Italy, I would probably be running from rooftop to rooftop, like robbing people left and right, but I would be a Robin Hood thief. And so I live vicariously through shows like this and through stories about these kind of renegades with their own moral code. To be clear, we're talking about the old school Robin Hood thief, not the Robin Hood thief of today. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're not going to deviate the show, but this is actually a perfect thing with all the stuff going on with GameStop and oh, and the Wall Street bets. Uh, no, not not the Robin Hood that is um, working for the elites right now. No, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, so, yeah, let me give a little just a setup for this, what the series is going to be. Uh, Story Archives is a relatively new show that we have on the Midnight Exchange change a network and it's going to be pretty much solely revolving around stories throughout film and television. And I'm going to say film and television to start and who knows what it branches into after. Um, amongst that, uh, we will also have series like this that actually just go episode by episode around shows that we love to watch or love to, um, uh, I don't know, just to love to discuss that are just so well done. And that is the whole purpose of story archives entertain to reach um, like-minded individuals, like-minded people out there who also love Lupin and who can't get enough between episodes. And for those of you out there who've already gone through all five episodes like I have, um, I just found out probably 15 minutes ago, they actually have already filmed the second installment of the first um, series. So that's going to release later this year, supposedly around summer. Season two? I guess or not would, technically would, season two. Oh, but they split it in half. They split yeah, season part, one. Oh, okay. Part two of season one. So oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get going here. I've actually split this episode into, you know, 15 minute segments to kind of set things up. And we're going to just start it off with how the show begins. Uh, Lupin begins episode one with like this wide shot of the Louvre, which is probably the most respected art museum in the world. So off right off the bat, you know, the show's about a thief and, you know, he's targeting probably one of the biggest places you can target or probably one of the most impossible places to rob. And so, you know, right off the bat that we're going for a large scale. This is a professional of highest degrees. And so you see that he's entering in. He has um, a janitor's garb on. So he is somebody who's willing to appear in humble guises to pull off a heist. He's not somebody who is. Uh, pulling the strings, although he is very much pulling the strings, but he's willing to get in there and, and risk it big for anything that he wants. Um, as Lupin, as the show opens and you see him kind of just, uh, you don't even know, I call him Lupin, but his name is not actually Lupin. It's Hassan Diop. Um, you see him kind of just going through the emotions as a janitor and he stops to appreciate the Mona Lisa, which also tells you something about him, that he's a cultured man. He's stopping in the middle of doing, I guess, research for his next heist to stop and appreciate one of the most um, beautiful, famous paintings of all time. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of his routine, they finally get to the um, target, what you call it, it, which is a necklace that seems to, it's called the Queen's Necklace, which was Marie Antoinette's necklace that was passed down over, I don't know, how many years in between. Uh, so as he admires it what's up there was a few generations there for sure 
Yeah, they talk about it later on, yeah. but he, you see him admiring it, and you obviously know that he's targeting it. Now, you don't know what his connection to it is at this point. Um, you also see, I actually want to... I didn't even think about there being a connection, actually. I, I, uh, I don't, we didn't find out about that until a little later on, but I kind of just thought that was, he was just there to steal it. And uh, as it progressed, I kind of got the idea that, oh, okay, this guy, he knows what he's doing. Okay, he's casing everything. He's yeah, just putting yeah. it like it, it was a. You know, you know something I caught on rewatching the first episode? Hmm. There's a moment where the camera see, like he looks up and notices that there's a camera over his shoulder. Yeah. But when he grabs his cart, he positions the, the flathead mop in such a way that would block the camera from seeing his face. But it's something huh. that's not actually focused on, on the, by the camera. But it's something, it was almost like an actor's or director's decision to do that, which is showing that he's always thinking a step ahead of everything. Okay. I missed uh, that. So, yeah, I picked it up on the second watch and I, it was literally right around the, the two minute mark. Uh, the next scene after that opens with the whole introduction to clearly what his target is going to be. You have the grand title mm -hmm. and it opens with him in a cafe with a woman who we will soon be introduced to named Claire, who's his ex-wife. Um, at least I think ex-wife. I don't even know if at the portion I'm in, I'm if, not it's, sure. like, if the divorce is finalized or not. Um, but you see immediately that the ID and the name that he gave at signing in as a janitor earlier, which was Luis Perenna, um, you see that, that that's a fake name because she refers to him as Asan, mm -hmm. which... Um, there's a few things that I noticed right off the bat with that exchange. She's asking him like, where, you know, where are you working on? And he says he just got a job and she kind of scoffs at him throughout the conversation. And it kind of shows you that the people closest to him still, he's a mystery to them. Mm -hmm. And it also shows that recently she says he looks like a mess and it kind of shows that he's been obsessing over something of late. So that means that in this portion of the story, something's up he's he's been focusing on something and so he's kind of not you know what he usually looks like or how he's usually acting we yeah. also find out that he has a son and apparently he's not the greatest father or at least he's kind of absent in some sense and we also learn that he's a guy who makes promises and sometimes doesn't keep them because she scoffs at him when he says that things are going to change um but was nonetheless it, was it he laid on his uh his payment too no, well, actually, he he gives her the money for the alimony in that oh, scene. Oh, that's right, that's right. And she she rejects it, but it's uh, it's actually something where yeah, he gives her like a stack of bills, like I'm out, uh, <laughs> and she says, "No, nah, keep the money." But um, you also tell that he doesn't listen to anybody pretty much except for what he wants to do. So when she walks out of the cafe, uh, she finds not only the money in her pocket, but there's like a little flower, um. Uh, the origami flower and she gives a look back that kind of tells you you know you know when a girl looks at you like that you just know she has a soft spot for you but you see they obviously still have feelings for each other he's smooth he's smooth oh yeah 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 i mean <laughs> one of the things immediately and i don't know if it's omar sai or omar c who's the actor who plays asan but dude he's an incredible actor and i mean i feel like i've been living under a rock because he's been around for a long time but uh, I I mean he's incredible. He steals every freaking scene that he's in. Yeah, when um, I, when I saw him in that, I was I, it took me a minute to figure out um what I knew him from, and I was talking uh with somebody, and 
the movie The Untouchables came up and I'm like, that's it. That's what he's from. It's been a while uh-huh. since I've seen that, but he was good in that. Great in I, this. I actually watched The Untouchables because of Lupin and uh-huh. freaking love that movie. I think I, I think I saw it twice. It was really? that good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the things lately, and I think Lupin is an example of it, mm-hmm. is since Parasite won the Oscar for best, I think it won for best film. I'm always tricky. I'm always like um, hazy on who won what type of thing. But since they won best film, um, they've been importing foreign content, foreign films, foreign television shows, even anime. I mean, I mean, Netflix and every single streamer has been he- investing like heavily in anime content. Um, just huge, man. And um, I'm loving it truly because I don't, I think most of the things I've watched in the last few months haven't been in English and it's just been refreshing to see just stories from around the world and just different styles and whatnot. So yeah. And I, I don't uh, mind the subtitles either. I thought I would mind it, but I mean, between this being in French and then that, that other show dark being all in German, it's just, you got to watch it in the, in the natural language that it was filmed. And it, it sounds incredible. And uh, you just, you get a better sense of the culture. I think. I think you also appreciate the performances more and it's not to slight people who watch dubs uh, or anything like that. Although there are some bougie, um, bougie people out there who will, um, but it is, it's just true. I mean, the performances in the original language, especially in, in Lupin, it's just, I mean, listening to the French language is kind of nice too. It's almost therapeutic, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say as far as, um, oh my God, I lost my train of thought with, um, we were talking about the language of it and whatnot. Watch I lost it. Oh, I remember. Um, one of the things I notice when I'm watching a foreign show and I'm watching it in, in the original language is mm-hmm. um, you have to focus. And I oh, think yeah. nowadays I'm so distracted. It just as society, we're so distracted that we have to focus when you watch it. And it's like, well, I mean, damn, if, if I don't want to have to rewind 50 times the same scene, I have to focus. And so you actually get to really experience the show because you are only focused on it. I know that was my experience with Dark. And that's my experience with pretty much anything that I watch that I have to read subtitles. Yeah, that reminds me. That was actually hilarious. You uh, you made me uh, remember this. When I started watching the first episode, I got about um, five minutes in and I was checking my email. I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell happened? <laughs> I had to skip it back <laughs> yep. all the way to the beginning again. I was like, all right, I just shut the phone off and, and watched it from there. But it's nice to be able that's to just kind of focus on one thing. So yeah, I appreciate right. the foreign so, film for that. So moving on from the scene with Claire in the cafe, Hassan goes from janitor in the move to part-time dad to um, heading to some sort of housing project. And he's now wearing a hoodie and he's wearing a beanie mm. and he's visiting some loan sharks, some douchebag loan sharks. Let's call them. I call them the idiot loan sharks. That's how I have referred to them throughout this note. They are the typical idiot goon loan shark <laughs> in a show. Me. And so he goes and he, you know, he can't pay back the money that he borrowed from them. So you got the muscle head in the, in the rock tank top and no, no slight to the rock. I love the rock. Hangs him over the balcony. But what Hassan does 
well, as they know him as Lewis, this is, that's going to be kind of tricky to be bouncing back and forth because he uses like three or four different aliases yeah. in this show. But um, anyways, he pretty much plays on their greed and uses these goons and sells them on his grand plot to rob the Louvre, which when I first watched this episode, I was like, you know, if I'm a mastermind thief, the guys I'm going to bring in to rob the Louvre aren't going to look like these goons. They're going to be, they're going to look like something out of Ocean's Eleven. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, me as, you know, George Clooney and I'm going to get Brad Pitt and Matt Damon and we're going to have a solid squad of thieves robbing this place. But no, Asan chooses a muscle head, uh, which I would refer to as Lone Shark Dummy 2 and then uh, Idiot Lone Shark 1 and then Incredible Idiot Lone Shark 3. Uh, <laughs> and so what he does is he pretty much takes him on this whole plan. What they're going to do is infiltrate his janitors. Idiot loan truck number three is going to get a discreet fast car. And Asan is going to play the part of, I guess, a buyer, a buyer who's going to auction and hopefully win the neck, uh, the necklace mm-hmm. in the auction. So he takes him through the plan. It's kind of like a whole montage sequence of, of that. Um, Go ahead. You're going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, at, when I got to the end of the sh- of the episode, I was kind of thinking back on the on the scene where he ended up, you know, going to these loan sharks because um, he owed them money, and I, I didn't catch it, and I'd have to rewatch it, I think, to to try and figure this out. But I'm I'm wondering because because he seems well off at the end of the movie, and, and he still owns it, so he hasn't sold anything, and and he's, he he's um a song seems like a a well off man. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if if he was playing them from the start. Uh, so like, you know, he came up with this fake identity, he's casing the joint, and then he borrowed money from these guys that we didn't know about. And now, now that's why he owns the money. And that's how he sucked them in. Or did he owe them money for some reason? And then he's going to go and, and try and rob this to, to, uh, pay off his debts, but ends up keeping it because of, of his uh, knowledge of, you know, all of the, the books and everything with Lupin. Um, I was, I don't know. I was just curious about that. I feel like he was playing him from the start because they knew him by his, you know, undercover name as well. Well, we'll actually get to that because I do have the answer to that, but I won't reveal it now. Okay. All right. But I'll wait. But that does, that does play out later in the episode. Uh, actually after that scene where he goes to the loan sharks, you get your first flashback. And I got to say, there's something, you know, there's almost like this formula with flashbacks. You have to like toe this line of, you know, how to mix in flashbacks with flash forwards and make sure that it doesn't get almost tiring for the audience. Mm -hmm. They did it like perfect. I mean, they, they go back to the first flashback, which shows it actually says the year is 1995. And, um, it actually goes from a shot of the necklace to the flashback, which shows you that, okay, there's some sort of connection deeper than he just likes this necklace and is worth a lot of money, uh, which is kind of a technique to use there. Mm-hmm. So they go back to 1995 and you see what you can assume is a son as a young man with his father in the park. And he's talking to his dad and his dad obviously just got a new job. That's what they're talking about. And he asks his dad, Hey, are they cool? Are your boss is cool. And he actually gives away a pretty neat um, foreshadowing clue there where he says they're presumptuous. And then, you know, since I'm such a 
a smart individual, I had to make sure I knew what the definition of presumptuous was. And I kind of knew what it was, but it's failing to observe the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. And these are the ultimate wealthy of France. So you can kind of assume where this is going to go, <laughs> what kind of people these are. Not that the ultra, ultra wealthy are bad people, but for some, they do believe that there is no limit to what is permitted or appropriate. And so you kind of get a foreshadowing of what's going on here. You know, if he's a gentleman burglar, then there has to be some element where he is justified in what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple things that you see in this scene right off the bat from the father's face, you know, he's a good father, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you also notice that it's just the father. Um, and you also know that just by the way they interact that Asan is his father's pride. And he actually, um, Asan's well being or his education is his number one priority. So much so that when he says the word presumptuous, he tells us how to spell it. Um, you find out a few more things here because where they're walking, they're actually walking with the destination, which is to the new boss's home mm -hmm. or to meet up with, I guess, the, the boss's wife because they encounter this woman in a car, it's pouring rain. And I don't know actually what the hell her issue was, to be honest, <laughs> but uh, she know. can't, she can't get the start the car started. And so it's a foreign the, uh, car. They, they just don't like to work sometimes. Yeah. yeah that's probably what it is. It's a, you know, she's driving a, you know, isn't what? it a Volkswagen? She's driving a Volkswagen. You're talking, I'm out. Nah. <laughs> this is 1995 and they're the wealthiest family in France. And she's driving a Volkswagen. <laughs> I swear that's what she was driving, right? Yeah, I'm I'm literally have it over the scene. And by the way, she does something super. <laughs> she see she sees Hassan and her father walk up to her car and she automatically locks her car door, which yeah. kind of shows <laughs> she's white and she's just assuming, mm -hmm. you know, that they're criminals. Anyway, she uh she kind of softens up and you know she's the nice one of the equation until you meet her her husband. So yeah. uh, she actually invites Hassan into her car. And uh, to be fair to her, I mean, it was raining and there's a man just knocking on her window, but yeah, but he is, he's dressed nice. So maybe she's without excuse here. Anyways, he, Baba Car, which is, um, Asan's father gets the car going and in true gentleman fashion makes a good first impression and, uh, let's pretty much, uh, forces his way to chauffeur on the first day of his job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they did establish him as a really, really nice character, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah, but, you know, it, when they establish a character as nice as, as him, yeah. <laughs> it's almost kind of like, you know, something. I know. This is too this It's is too, too nice. good to be true. Too exactly. nice to be true, I guess. Yeah. So uh, flash forward to present day, Asan's rolling out a red carpet in a janitor suit. They do this really neat transition. They kind of whip to the right. And Asan's now coming out of the car in a tailored suit to a T mm -hmm. with he heavy, heavy, heavy James Bond vibes. I mean, if, oh, absolutely. if like, let me tell you, I don't know. I've never heard him speak English, but if he speaks English fluently, put him in the running for James Bond. But I think there's actually a rule. Like you can't be James Bond unless you're British. So probably. Uh, yeah, no, I, I literally think that that is written. Like you cannot be. You cannot audition for James Bond unless you're British. I don't think many people know that. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. I mean, I've, I've heard of a couple other movies where they, they required it. No, even if you're good with the accent, it does, does not matter. Mm -hmm. Well, here we are towards the la latter 
bit of the first third of the episode, and now he's a new alias, Paul Cernin. And he is a millionaire mogul in attendance to auction for the necklace of Marie Antoinette. <laughs> uh, that takes us to the next third of the episode. Now that the plot is underway, you see the goons, the shark, shark loan goons in the janitor uh, tunnels just going on with the plan. And, you know, we got to talk about this chloroform situation that's about to come up in this in this <laughs> in their in their brilliant plot mind you everything goes to a t you see these three grown men with three fake ids that do not match their face at oh, all no, not at all i mean you're talking this is the louvre so this is kind of like i don't know how they, they got were, in honestly well because because in the in the script it, it it said that they didn't get caught but this is the louvre for <laughs> god's sake i mean and these janitors worked every day you're telling me I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a stretch for me to believe that they're not checking IDs like that. Yeah. At the fanciest art museum in the world. Exactly. Okay. We'll have a couple more critiques for for episode (laughs) one of Lupin pretty soon here. Um, Anyways, this guy gives a whole background of the necklace and it talks about this journey it went on from many different rulers from Tsarist Russia, where it ended up being a treasure of the Third Reich. And then eventually purchased by the Pellegrinis, which coincidentally we find out is the family that Assan's dad was hired to work for, Mm -hmm. which takes us to the next flashback where you see Babakar pull up in the car. This one, a, this one, a car that, yeah, he's in a Bentley now. Okay. So the wife's driving a Volkswagen and the husband's driving a Bentley. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was just that an image to, thing. That had to have been an F up. And they just wanted, or maybe Volkswagen paid them for some product placement of their <laughs> old car. But the husband's driving the Bentley. Not even driving, he's being driven. And we're given this shot down the, down the dress, straight cleavage shot of the wife of, uh, of Pellegrini with the Marie Antoinette necklace. So now we know what the connection is here. We know. And um, we can assume where the story's going because the host of the auction talks about how the Pellegrinis bought it until it was stolen 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Which also make at that point, you can deduce how old Hassan is because uh, that was 1995. So 25 years forward, he's probably in his 30s, late 30s, mid late. to late, maybe, eh, maybe not late 30s, maybe like somewhere mid, mid 30s. I'm saying how, how old was he in the beginning? He looked like he was around 10. I think he was 14. He said 14? he was 14. Oh. Yeah, because there's a scene that comes up later where uh, we'll get into that in a, in a second here. Well, then he's almost uh, 40 then. So he's almost 40. But, you know, that makes me feel a little bit better about yeah. myself because he's a gentleman <laughs> thief who's amazing at everything. And at least he's near 40. So that gives me 12 years yeah. to hone my skills. Uh, although I'm not the pickpocket that I used to be. Um, I gotta stop hanging out with you if uh, <laughs> you keep watching too many more of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, there's a flat flash forward back to the auction, and they introduce the daughter of the Pellegrinis, who's this beautiful woman named Juliet. And uh, yeah, she's striking, dude. I, I gotta say, like you know, women with dark hair and that and bright red lipstick. I think Jordan Peterson talked something about that red lipstick, <laughs> but it was controversial. One of those interviews, but um, it's the contrast. 
Yeah, she has this necklace on. Actually, it's the Marie Antoinette necklace. And uh, Hassan looks at her and it flashes back because he obviously knows her. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to this flashback of young Hassan going to the pool. And you have every teenage boy's dream on the other end of the pool. <laughs> this hot French girl smoking a cigarette and listening to, I don't know, French pop music. Yeah. And she's clearly teasing young boy Hassan here looking at him. Um, hits him with a pretty racist joke about whether he can swim because he's black. And, um, but I gotta say, she followed it up with a nice reward for the teasing. She said, It was hey, a pretty you, good reward. <laughs> yeah, she says, Hey, if you can swim to me, I'll kiss you. And Asan obliges, and I, I, gotta, I gotta give him props. Asan does good. Asan does good. Made it to the other side. It, yeah, it, it gives you the whole background of, you know, he obviously had a good relationship with her, or mm-hmm. at least it seems at, at this point in the show. You know, looking back at this, uh, since we're talking about the kind of flash backs and forwards and everything, looking back at it, I was like, you know, they kind of did that a lot. But when I think about it, it was, it was really just so seamless. Like it did not offend me at all. Yeah. Nothing felt off about it or like they were trying to jam information down your throat. It was just like, oh, okay. It felt right. Or that, or that you're watching something and, uh essentially like you want to get back to the present time it's annoying the flashbacks you're not interested in them they're not really well done oh exactly Um, that that i probably hate the most about a lot of shows that try to do that mm -hmm, it's just mm -hmm. junk but you you find out the reason that the pellegrinis are selling the necklace now is because the proceeds are going to go to her foundation Mm -hmm. which is um i guess pointing to her philanthropy because she has nothing to do with, you know, the negative side that we know of. And, um, yeah, the auction begins and the plan goes into motion in the janitor level at this point with the goons down there. <laughs> you know, I, I got to say something. Uh, there's a part here and it comes up when they start banging on the side of, of the cabinets to get the attention of the guards. Mm-hmm. You got a little mustache man with the, who's the getaway driver. And he's got this damn bottle of supposedly chloroform. And every single movie I've seen that uses the chloroform on somebody, they instantly pass out. So maybe this is making fun of that. Maybe we can try it out one day, Zach. I'll spray spray some chloroform on your face and we'll see if you pass out. But (laughs) every time this guy sprays somebody in the face in this episode, they just look at him like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, I, you know... I don't think, even if that was chloroform, there's no way that would knock you out. I looked up um, a while ago how, like, you see it all the time. How long does it take to really knock somebody out? How how long do you think it takes to knock somebody out with chloroform? Oh, with chloroform? I don't know. I would so assume you spray that you, it on a rag or soak it on a rag and you're covering someone's mouth. A few seconds, at least, and, they, and they're going to struggle. It's I've, not heard, be like they I've heard inhaling. about five minutes. Yeah, no, it's not possible. It's it's crazy. It's like when you watch uh, a movie and somebody punches somebody in the face and that person instantly falls down and yeah. is knocked out. Like, you know how much force <laughs> you need to have to knock someone out with one punch? Just broke, just some, one broke punch. some knuckles. <laughs> and you see examples of that in this show. You know, you see some like punches to the mouth and the guy's out. But you know what? If every fight was really drawn out, 
you couldn't do this elaborate sequence here. No, and especially, not it's not Asan doing it. It's these damn loan shark goons. So mm -hmm. uh, I can't blame him for, for their inadequacies, right? <laughs> but you know what? Um, I think we got to do more research on chloroform and see if it's actually like a myth, if we can myth bust it and see if it's a, a viable way of knocking someone out. <laughs> we'll look oh my gosh. All right, that takes me to probably my biggest issue with episode one, which is, which is when Asan makes the offer at $30 million or like something, 30 something. Yeah. Okay. This guy brings him the auction host an iPad or some crap like that. Okay. Yeah. Brings him an iPad and he says, and he has a Wikipedia page open with Asan's face on this guy just lounging <laughs> on a chair. Like he looks like a super chill billionaire. All right. Buddy scrolls down to the net worth, sees that it says $576 million and just does like this. Hmm. He passes. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. I've got to assume that these auctions are doing a little bit more of a background check on who's a buyer, who's a legit buyer, and who's not. Otherwise, you can have a bunch of bozos going in there. I'm sure just, they're doing that before you get in. It could be because right? that, that's just, that's the worst smoke test I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, granted, Asan could be a master hacker or he could have a friend who's like a, a hacker. You know, we haven't been introduced to that character yet. And I hope he's not because then it would just give me more work to achieve before I turn 40. So, um, well, I'm no, your tech but, guy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're a developer. You're not a hacker. Uh, Are you a hacker? I use, uh, I use the Kali distro of Linux. Uh, for, I, I actually um, used a library attack against my parents' Wi-Fi way back <laughs> in the day. Uh, I, I didn't do brute force attack because it would have just taken forever, but I got downloaded a library of passwords and uh, ran, ran some uh, scripts to run it and cracked the, uh, cracked the code and said, hey, here's the password. We found it. All right, say nothing else because... I'm going to, I'm going to need your help in about 12 years. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So we're flashing forward here. We're finally introduced to the douchebaggery that is Hubert Pellegrini, our show's antagonist. Mm -hmm. And, um, he's incredibly rude. Babacar is just looking through a, a library shelf and he's like, Hey, I don't pay you to read. And, uh, Martha Stewart, his wife comes in and, um, that's so rude. I don't My know name her name, not but Martha Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she looks like she could play Martha Stewart in the biopic. Um, I don't know the actress name, so I'm not going to continue here. But anyway, she pretty much with this moment changes Asan's life forever. She tells Babacar to pick out a book to give to her uh, to his son. And he chooses Arsene Lupin. Arsene Lupin, as the French say. Gentleman burglar, which becomes essentially the heritage of our main character. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that's the last, <laughs> that's the last positive flashback uh, <laughs> concerning his father, at least for this episode. And um, 
we flash forward to Hassan continuing to try to secure the auction win mm-hmm. and the loan shark idiots continuing to proceed down below <laughs> with their plan. Um, yeah, ascend, eventually they do succeed and turn off the cameras, which leads to Hassan securing the necklace um, through bidding. Uh, I think it ended up being that he like won it for $60 million. It was, and, um, it was a lot. Yeah. And he did a masterful job of hiding his face from Juliet, who was trying to uh, catch a glimpse of who the buyer was. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if he would have been caught by her, then the whole thing goes yeah. up in, you know, up in flames. So, um, yeah, you have the whole scene here now where you have the two loan sharks who have circumvented and they are now the bodyguards surrounding the vault of the necklace. And, you know because of a moment that just occurred between them that they are planning to screw over Hassan here, um, which leads to a awkward back and forth about whether uh, he can take a peek at the necklace. Yeah. Uh, and that one kind of felt a little fishy to me. I don't, I don't think you can do that in an auction, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially when you just spent $60 million on something. I think yeah, they want to make sure it clears before they open it up. Yeah, I I got to agree with you on that. But, you know, he's a smooth talker, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And he's like 6'6", so, you know, he's an intimidating guy. He could probably beat the hell out of the, mm-hmm. out of the auction host there. Um, anyways, they allow him to take the necklace out of the vault, and which takes us to our flashback that sets up the reason why Hassan is doing this in the first place, which is the whole premise pretty much of part one of season one of Lupin, which is Hassan's dad was framed for stealing Marie Antoinette's necklace from the Pellegrinis, which led to his arrest. So as Hassan sees this necklace opening from the vault, he's getting a pretty much like PTSD of, of the moment his father was taken away from him. Yeah. Definitely. It definitely got darker than I expected, too. Uh, you want to know something really funny? Yeah, go ahead. My, I got my parents to watch this show. I, I give them, you know, recommendations to watch shows and, and vice versa. They give me some. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, man, that guy who plays Pellegrini, I didn't recognize him at first, but you know who he is? And I'm like, who is he? He's like, you'll never guess. And he's like, Kevin Spacey. And I'm like, that, that's not Kevin Spacey. He's like, no, you got to Google it. That's Kevin Spacey. I Googled it. It's not Kevin Spacey. Long story short. (laughs) But uh, he was convinced because of all the stuff that's happened with Kevin Spacey and his, uh, I think he was, yeah, he's been accused of some terrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, He, he thought that they were, um, that he was in heavy makeup so that nobody would recognize him so that he wouldn't be under scrutiny for being in the role. (laughs) Oh God. So uh flash forward, uh Lone Shark number three uh decided that a Ferrari, a bright red Ferrari, was the discreet fast car that he needed for a getaway from a, a heist of the Louvre. And um and Lone Shark Idiots one and two decide that this is the moment to pretty much be greedy and try to screw over Hassan. Mm-hmm. I honestly laughed out loud when I saw their getaway car. <laughs> I just, something told me like this. I'm like, this guy does not know how to drive. 
I laughed and, a lot on when I saw these bozos running through the hallways of the Louvre, like as if, <laughs> as if you could actually do that. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is pretty much taking you towards the ladder. The ladder um, is taking you into like the last third of the episode, which is um, the getaway of the loan shark dummies. And an eventual flashback to Hassan visiting his father in jail because I guess yeah. he ended up there permanently. Yeah. And um, Hassan actually has this weird encounter that I never noticed in the jail when he's sitting in there. And um, Zach, you finished the show, correct? I finished the first episode. I haven't watched any more than the first episode. Oh, that's phenomenal. Okay. All right, then. This is great because I have finished the series. And that means that we get to kind of take a ride here where... You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I get to, I get to be the master at arms here. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he has a weird interaction with somebody who kind of gives him this dirty look, kind of like this evil smirk Mm -hmm. from outside of the glass. And um, I didn't notice, but that character ends up playing a a part later in the, in the season. Interesting. Well, uh, who's got the smirk? His dad or or no, Asan? He's waiting like in this super claustrophobic uh, waiting area to see his father. Uh, Which, by the way, I mean, it's that's. I gotta say, this this French prison looks like hell. I mean, it literally looks like hell. Tiny, not the the waiting. Oh my, the waiting room, like just to go see your your loved one. Mm -hmm. Literally, the walls are closing in on you, and then. I mean, his father didn't kill somebody, for goodness sake. He stole a necklace. And they have him in like in this solitary confinement room with this heavy bolted down door. Good Lord, man. Oh, it's a depressing cell. Anyways, He's they go to get his father. Ne- stole a necklace. Yeah, they, they go to get his father and uh, and he they find him that he's hung himself in yeah. his cell. Which, um, yeah, we find a, a downtrodden... Uh, Asan here at the grave of his father who evidently they didn't give a headstone to. It's just like this mound of of dirt in the middle of a field. Like it, there's no other graves on that side of the field. Yeah. I don't know. I found this part really odd. I found this part odd. Like there was nothing there. Like this is what happens when you rewatch stuff and you start to be really critical. Because on the other side is a cemetery, but then on the side that he's looking on, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. But let me not let me not linger here. Okay. He ends up att- essentially telling uh, the Pellegrini woman, who I yet at this point in the episode still do not know her name. Uh, so she will be known as the Pellegrini woman. Oh, you're, you're talking about the wife, Anne. Is that her name, Anne, the blonde? Yeah, in in the show, it's Anne. In real life, it's Nicole Garcia. All right, well, she's going to be Anne for now. Right. Uh, Anne, is, uh, he essentially tells her to go fly a kite because she comes and tries to pay her respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, then flash forwards to the continued heist of the goons that they're trying to pull off and the what doesn't look like a Ferrari crashing through the Louvre at all. It doesn't. At this point, it looks like a little coupe. So, it does. Uh, yeah, right? I know, you know, they were doing their best, but it didn't look like a Ferrari. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to look back and see what it was. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite part was the fact that they drove for all of like 
five seconds <laughs> and crashed. Yeah, no, he, he, he's the worst getaway driver of all time. And one of my favorite parts is you have this detective who the police department is questionable, questionable at their jobs. You have this police department that's questioning them and pretty much allows everybody to go home. Yeah. Like they just let everybody go home. But granted, it makes sense because they did recover the necklace or so we think. Um, he also, I found it funny. He reaches, he checks, um, he checks us on, he checks, pats down his pocket. And it really does sound like a necklace. It does sound like the necklace is in his pocket. I it thought it was being too. A, <laughs> it ends up being a pen. So whoever did the sound of like the sound on that really put it us. over the top. Yeah, it sounded like a, an actual necklace on there. Oh my gosh! So um, after this whole this whole scene plays out, you get a one another flashback of of Asan, young Asan, after his father's passed away. He's living alone, and uh, he's listening to this news report that's talking about the theft of the necklace, and that the um, the person who stole it is dead. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and he's looking through a box of, of his father's, like, I guess, last belongings. And he sees an unopened present from his father to him. He opens it. And at this point, this is where he sees the book Arsene Lupin for the first time. And you're hit with that line that I opened the show with, mm-hmm. which is that we are about to tell you the story of a thief line. Yeah. Which is to me, the, the quintessential line, like if I had to give you just one paragraph of what the show is about, it would be this line. I mean, it sums up everything so perfectly. If I was going to go pitch this show to a, a studio to buy it or to allow me to produce it, I would have led with this line, which uh, is beautifully pulled off. This is, this is like the montage sequence of the show. It's, it's saying this whole monologue, essentially, of who Arsene Lupin is. And it goes, uh, it flashes forward two weeks where Hassan learns for the first time of the reemergence of the necklace of Marie Antoinette. And it obviously sets a fire and it starts his, his mind, his mind starts turning on how he can plot to steal it. Yeah. Which goes to the whole heist montage where it shows how he prepped. It shows how he got the job at the, as a janitor where he related to the hiring manager, her Senegalese roots, right? And it also shows that um, he pulled off a fake identity with the loan sharks and pretended to be a guy who's down on his luck and needed money to borrow. It also shows how um, essentially he made that whole Wikipedia page we've been making fun of this whole episode <laughs> and Photoshop. He's a hell of a Photoshop artist. I got to yeah, say, did a I good gotta, job. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still laughing at the picture. And of the of the clearing process for an auction at the Louvre, <laughs> crazy. We could go buy the Mona Lisa just tomorrow if I make a Wikipedia page. Apparently, yeah. Just say your net worth is like a hundred million. Yeah, and now it also gives you a good picture of he has friends. He has friends who do help him that he calls upon. They do describe him as a lone wolf, but he has friends with what they call questionable morals yeah. who help him. Which is this guy named Benjamin, who you see more in the series as it progresses. Who makes this perfect replica of Marie Antoinette's necklace within a week? My God. I mean, that guy, he's worth the money. Anyways, his friends have infallible loyalty as the monologue pulls off. And it takes you to the climax of the episode, which is 
or the resolution. I, I lose track sometimes, but this is definitely the peak of the episode mm-hmm. um, where it shows you what exactly he did. You found out that there was a fake necklace that he prepared and you found out that he actually was always one step ahead the entire time. He knew the loan sharks were going to try to betray him. And he positioned it in such a way that when loan shark leader number one attacked him, when he rolled over, over the desk, he puts, he puts the fake necklace on the floor and the real necklace in the garbage can. Yeah. That was, that was smooth too. Oh yeah. That was smooth. That was a smooth, (laughs) I mean, it's a smooth way to end the montage too. Yeah. And it goes, and it goes back to what he said from the beginning, which is nobody pays attention to the janitors in this place. And the only way you can get something out is through the trash can pretty much. Mm -hmm. So they don't check the trash and he goes out, you know, brilliantly puts a bunch of, uh, crap diapers in there. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and as he says earlier in the episode, you're going to go in a janitor and you're going to leave a millionaire. And so he clocks out for the night and an epic sequence, I guess symbolic sequence. Cause when I first watched this the first time I was like, why would you take off your janitor's uniform when you're walking out of this place? You know, but yeah. it goes with the symbolism of the, of the going in a janitor and coming out a millionaire. And then he throws out his janitor's uniform in dramatic fashion, walks what seems to be directly in front of the cops. And he's literally holding, or at least he was holding the necklace in his right hand. So you can tell that he's somebody, <laughs> you can tell that he's somebody who likes to um, make a statement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once uh, Asan leaves the Louvre, you get your peek at the only competent person in the police department, apparently, who's put together this uh, connection. He, could, he, he feels that the heist... The jewelry heist is a little bit familiar. It's familiar with this famous French novel called Lupin, of all things. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to put something together, but his, his captain says, hey, get that out of my face. And sure enough, uh, it goes, it cuts to a scene at the police department where his, uh, I guess his fellow co-worker tells him, hey, the lab results came back in. The necklace is a fake. We need you to call the, the buyer and tell him it's a fake. And so he says, tell me his name. He says, it's Paul Chernin. And he starts to write it out and realizes that Paul Chernin is an anagram for Arsene Lupin, <laughs> which you also find out that Luis Perenna, the other name that he used in the, earlier in the show, is also an anagram for Arsene Lupin. So it's a nice little end to the show because you got to have that cop who's kind of on his tail. You got to have something like that. In shows like this. Yeah, otherwise there's there's no concern for, you know, is he going to get away with it? Is he going to continue to get away with it? Yeah, I mean, you got to have somebody who who is essentially, it's got to be cat and mouse, essentially. You got to have somebody who's on your tail. You know, mm-hmm. The thief's got to be one step ahead. And there's got to be some situations where he almost gets caught. Little instances like that. The, the episode ends with Hassan going to Claire's house to pick up his son, as he said he would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he makes it on time. And so there's like this little glimmer of hope for Claire that maybe Hassan's changed. Maybe this is the time he's finally changed. <laughs> and um, he takes a walk with his son, um, who's probably around the same age that he was when his father got arrested. At it least it looks like, like it. it. Yeah. And he gives his son his most prized possession, which is the book that his father gave him as his la- as the last thing he ever gave him. Mm-hmm. And it, and it ends with the line that prepares you for what's to come, 
which is, he says, Arsene Lupin isn't just a book. He's my heritage, my method, my path. I am Lupin. And then it rolls the credits, end of episode one. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of want to go and read the book. I I bought it. I bought it. Oh, you did? So, mm -hmm. yep, yep. Do you get it yet or is it, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I bought it. I bought it a couple weeks ago. Okay. Well, let me know how so, it is. I want to read it next. That's well, uh, I, I guarantee it's great. I mean, so I'm, I'm sure, I, I'm sure it's great, but I still, I still want your, uh, critique on it. Yeah. Right, I'm probably not going to critique it, but I'll let you know what I think okay. of it. If but, it's you know, as good as the show was or is, I, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it before. I've never heard of, of the book, the author. And it seems like, like to me, it's like the Hardy Boys over here in America. Like you had to have heard of it. You know, I'm in the same boat because I really didn't know anything about this. And it's, it's up my alley of pretty much the genre that I love. And um, it was such a, honestly, the moment I saw the rolling trailer, mm -hmm. I was like, this is it. This is, this shows for me. So um, it was a breath of fresh air. I'm glad Netflix got behind it and is streaming it now. And um, I'm really looking forward to part two of it. I, what were your initial impressions after you wa finished watching the first episode? Initial? And you need to get on episode two. Yeah, well, I mean, my initial impression was I wanted to watch episode two. I just had time <laughs> this week. But um, no, it was it was filmed really well. It was I liked I liked the storytelling in it. I liked the uh, the tie in um, to the the book. Um, and it, I kind of don't know where it's going to go. Like to me, I feel like it could almost go anywhere. Like, is the story going to follow Asan or is it going to follow with his son? Um, I don't know if this is going to be like a family sort of thing that, that now becomes scary. I mean, because I mean, you saw him hand the book to his son. Um, and he's talking about how it's his heritage. So, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just curious to see if the next episode is is about himself or or gonna kind of move down the down the line to his his son. You know, I, I didn't know you actually hadn't watched the series, but I kind of like the fact that you're gonna be able to we're gonna be able to go through this series and create these episodes. And yes, I'm gonna be you know I'm gonna be the captain of the ship because obviously you're I have better, done I, better with storytelling I, too. <laughs> you know, and I have done my research, unlike you. On, uh, on the things it. that have happened in the <laughs> but no I'm, I'm seriously i'm kidding but it's nice because you know perhaps somebody in the audience didn't rewatch the episode and needs a, a refresher or thinking about the direction the show's gonna go in so i'll try not to reveal too much even though all the episodes are out um i'll try to keep this episode per episode i'm not gonna jump and say what happens in episode five and ruin something so i'm gonna try to keep everything yeah. bottled from episode to episode but I got to say, I binged it, unlike you. Uh, maybe I have less self-control. Uh, but I totally, I think I binged that thing like in a few days. And um, yeah, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop watching it. So it was, it's one of those Netflix finds where that just comes out of nowhere every yeah. once in a while. And um, I jumped on it. It's, it passes the test of the quality of the production uh, of the actor. The protag has to be somebody who's compelling 
mm-hmm. and who can carry a show. And what the show's about, the premise has to be something that, I don't know, has staying power, something that you that you want to tune into that catches your attention. So I like it. Honestly, there's this there's nothing produced here that um that this show lacks for it's just it's great great absolutely i i like the dialogue though since you have watched it all um you it's it's the kind of like the expert and the non-expert looking at this because because going through uh everything you're saying you're you're making me think about things that well a i I either haven't seen or just b didn't think about Uh, so i i kind of like i'll first say i'm no expert i'm just a fan but well, I'll say the more know, prepared for, person. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm just, I'm just teasing you. I got to tease you because, you know, it, it's what I do. But, uh, you know, something that this show does in the first episode is it, it shows you the mysterious, it kind of like appeals to your curiosity to, to find out the mystery mm-hmm. of who Hassan is. How was he raised after his father uh, killed himself? What happened? How is he somebody who lives in this apartment that has these floor to ceiling, floor to ceiling bookshelves? And you think to yourself, he actually looks like somebody who's read all of these books on these bookshelves. Mm-hmm. And he and he has this chair that has this masquerade looking mask on it. And he's a master of disguise. And he has a friend who's a master forger. How did he meet this friend? How does he know the things that he knows? How does he know how to do Photoshop and create this apparent <laughs> Wikipedia page and, and digital profile that allows him to pass the uh, the auctioneers? clearing test there are so many questions that you ask yourself if you watch episode one that you just have to watch episode two and also the mystery of was his father innocent or will he be able to prove his father's innocence yeah right uh that becomes a huge thing because it's pretty much open-ended after episode one all we know now is that he has the necklace so um it's a great it's a it's a great pilot i gotta say it's a great pilot yeah yeah. Definitely, definitely one of the better ones I've seen too. Any main takeaways for you after watching episode one? Where Take do you it, think the show is going to go? Any I predictions? I don't know. I I feel like it would be smarter to kind of carry along with Asan throughout the season um, and you know give us more of his story because there is such a massive gap between what we saw in his past to where he is now. Um, I do want to see those holes filled and I want to understand how he got from, you know, where he was. I mean, he had no mother. So I'm assuming he was just completely on his own at that point. He would have been alienated from, uh, the people his parents worked for, uh, they're not, I mean, they're the ones who basically got him arrested anyways. So I, I just want to see that storyline kind of filled out a little bit. I want to understand how he grew, grew up to the person he was. Um, but I'm also kind of curious to see how this like pattern of uh, Lupin is, is going to move through his, uh, through his lineage as well, like through, through his uh, son and, and I'm assuming his son's son or daughter, whenever, you know, he's of age. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, there's some extracurricular activity for those who are watching Lupin like I was um, without any any knowledge of the book or who Omar C is, who's the lead actor. You should really watch The Untouchables. I mean, 
I think that's what put him on the map mm. as an actor. Um, like at least to the point where then he, then he got appearances in X-Men and Jurassic world and transformers. And, uh, I gotta say, I like Lupin better than all three of those, <laughs> but, uh, I don't think I've watched any of those except Jurassic world, but, um, he, man, he's a hell, he's a hell of an actor, man. Like top, top notch, top, 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 top shelf, top shelf. I'll say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, looking forward to episode two and doing, uh, an extensive, uh, walkthrough on episode two. I can tell you my immediate reactions where I was just hooked. I was hooked. I'll leave it at that. Okay. So, uh, okay. I want to thank all of you for tuning in, uh, whoever you are, wherever you're from. If you are new to the podcast and new to story archives and new to the midnight exchange, you can follow story archives on Instagram at literally story archives and spelled as you would normally spell it. Um, and you can follow the Midnight Exchange, which is a show that has nothing to do with this. And Zach has all of that information memorized in his developer hacker sized brain. Yeah, I would say just go to the midnight exchange.com or. Oh, that's easy. It. That's nice. It, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's so nice. Yeah. And actually, the funny thing about having a website is we, we also have a website for Story Archives. So that's storyarchives.themidnightexchange.com. It is a long name, how did, but it's how did a show. I not know that. How I the hell know. did I. How did I forget that? I made it for you. I don't know. I literally built out the site, <laughs> the admin portal, so we can add all of the podcast episodes when we're done. Yeah, no, there's yeah. a website there too. And then, I love um, you, man. That's why I love you. <laughs> our social media is on there, but it, it, it's the Midnight Exchange in most places. Yeah, and Story Archives has been kicking ass lately with the content we've been posting on there. None of it is Lupin related. Actually, two posts are kind of Lupin related, but um, this podcast is actually going to be... Um, not just show reviews it's gonna be maybe some film reviews and just maybe some uh, i don't know shooting the shit and talking about just random culture and film and tv stuff so like how bad um, transformers 2 was <laughs> i don't think i want to do the research on that but that would actually be a fun series to do like a bad like a crappy movie film review yeah. but um yeah that, that's about it for this episode guys thanks for tuning in we're gonna come back with episode two very soon taking it to episode two of lupin and we're going to just go episode by episode and who knows what other ideas will come along after that so thanks and until next time see ya